Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters Arden Swelling with Ben Nicholson Smith, and it is Thursday, October the 15th, the first official off season edition of at the letters. Last time we talked to you, Blue Jays are in the playoffs. They no longer are, but uh, they, they do have uh, an interesting off season ahead. And Ben and I are going to get into all that, all the decisions that this club has to make over the, uh, the next several months as they try to set themselves up for whatever form the 2021 MLB season is going to take um our producers are with us as always christian ryan and mike sony thanks as always to them ben just generally speaking with this upcoming off season coming off of the year in which teams didn't pull any gate revenue and there was obviously plenty of acrimony over labor and and over uh playing the season at all like it's funny how we almost forgot how there were times this year not that long ago when we weren't even sure there was going to be a season. <laughs> we weren't even sure we were going to see baseball. So considering all of that and the state of the game and the uncertainty over 2021 season, what are you expecting from this winter and from this off season? Or can we even expect anything at all? It's really hard to know what to expect. And it's part of what makes this off season interesting. I mean, we'll have lots to discuss and I hope people stick with us uh, this, this off season on At The Letters. We've already got some some guests lined up for later in the month. We will, of course, review our, our over-unders. So there's lots to get to, but you know what form that takes, I don't know. And I think anyone within a major league front office or anyone from an agency, any player who, who says that they can forecast what's going to happen with any degree of certainty, I think is kind of overstating their position. It's just impossible to know. And teams clearly have been losing revenue compared to what we'd see in a normal season. That obviously will affect how much they spend, but still, you know, I think if the Mookie Betts uh, extension offers us, us much indication for the top, top guys, there probably will still be money. So, and, and clearly money still continues to stream into the sport via very, very lucrative national TV contracts that trickle down to all these teams. So, you know, it's not as though there's no money. It is a different economic landscape that's obviously going to impact things. And I think two teams, you know, it, it's just a different set of challenges for teams. Even, even the Blue Jays in a big picture sense are they sure that they can play in Toronto next year? Like, not really. So that kind of affects everything. It is, to me, it's a really interesting offseason, but not one that we can look at ahead to with a whole ton of certainty. Yeah, the Betts deal is um, sort of strangely encouraging in that it was signed post COVID. Like, it's easy to kind of forget like the chronology of all these things, but that deal came basically on the eve of the season in July that Mookie Betts signed, you know, $365 million, like a dozen years. That's a good sign that there's still, you know, is money to be spent in the game and, and that, you know, teams still can like obviously dip into the money that they are making off of, of television and, and broadcast rights expanded postseason. You would assume brought in a bunch more money for, for clubs and they're able to make up some of the losses that they experienced this year without gate revenue and hot dogs and merchandise sales around the ballparks and the restaurants that they own around their ballparks, this, that, and the other. But, you know, we also have seen uh, professional scouting departments slashed. We've seen player development departments slashed. That includes the Toronto Blue Jays, made cuts to the player development department, made cuts within their business operations department. You know, and in the case of the Blue Jays and, you know, pretty much every team across MLB, they said, yeah, this is pandemic related. Like this is because of the austerity that we have experienced due to COVID-19 and due to what we have been through in 2020. So like to you, you know, is it kind of like a weird thing to balance to be seeing teams making cuts to those departments within their front offices and to staff while then also going out and spending multi-million dollars on free agents? 
Yeah, I think it is for sure. And and it's it's probably not going to become less jarring in the course of this offseason. I mean, certainly you see a lot of teams across the industry making cuts. And to some extent, that's the calendar. But to another extent, this is the pandemic without a doubt. And this is a unique set of circumstances. The cuts are, are coming you know, harder and faster than they normally would across the sport. So how do you reconcile that with all the free agent spending that we expect to happen? I don't know. I guess like on a business level, teams are making the business decision that they can go forward without, you know, let's say an expanded scouting staff, but they can't go forward without a good catcher or they can't go forward without a fourth starter. And so that's a, I think, a justifiable business decision. Obviously, it's a painful one. And for the people in the game who are losing their jobs, losing their livelihoods in some cases, man, that's that's devastating. But I, I think on the other hand, they still have to fuel the team. And if you want to keep that revenue going in, you got you got to fill the good one too. Best way for teams to make money remains winning. It remains like being competitive and playing as deep in the postseason as possible and generating as much interest in your club as possible. That's how you get ratings up. That's how you get people buying merchandise. People start, you know, falling in love with with your players. Like, you know, we're gonna see Troy Tulowitzki and Russell Martin jerseys around Toronto for a long, long time. <laughs> That's right. A lot of those were purchased during 2015 and 2016. And what was Tulo? Number two? Uh I don't. Need, I want to say yeah, two because of Jeter, right? I want, I want to say, say it two. Was two. I'm not good at numbers. Some some people know like every single number out there. I'm not. I'm not great at it. No, I. And also, it is sort of like the grade twelve science thing, where it's like you cram for the exam, like when the guy's on the team, and then you just forget everything. Yeah. <laughs> just like you know, like the Blue Jays were still paying Troy Tulowitzki like this season, and I believe they're still paying him fourteen million dollars in 2021 as well which is like what this is kind of insane like to think and the guy's been retired for however long and last played a competitive baseball game even you know further before that but yeah it's like one of those things where you just kind of like forget about it and you just you move on and cast forward let's do just that and let's get into uh the 2021 offseason we're going to kind of work chronologically if we can here with like the decisions that the blue jays will have to make and the orders that they will have to make them so we must start with club options and potential qualifying offers because the cutoff for that is five days after the World Series and so it's a bit of a, a moving target but the Blue Jays will have had plenty of time to talk about those decisions and, and to figure them out when it comes to club options the Blue Jays have two one of them is Chase Anderson who uh, has a $9.5 million option with a $500,000 buyout and the other is Rafael Delis who has a $1.5 million dollar club option for 2021 with no bio although there are some performance bonuses in there that can impact the salary i think these decisions are pretty easy for me i am likely declining my option on chase anderson and picking up my option on rafael delise is there any reason ben to think that you would believe otherwise no i agree I think that is the right call. I, I think, you know, when you look at Dolis, he was really good. So you want him back and you need relievers too. I mean, they're about to lose potentially Anthony Bass. And, and not only that, they're about to lose Thomas Hatch and Anthony Kay and Julian Merriweather to the AAA rotation, potentially to the major league rotation at some point in the season. So a bullpen that seemed pretty effective in 2020 is really about to be depleted in a significant way. They need relievers. That's a great price. So you bring Dolis back and you continue shopping for relievers and free agency. Now, Chase Anderson, it's interesting to an extent because they do need starting pitching. That arguably is their biggest need this year. And with Taiwan Walker and Matt Shoemaker and Robbie Ray all hitting free agency, you've got to look at those guys. You've got to look outside the organization, try to make sure that you have enough to get through 162. But 
Chase Anderson for $9 million net, you know, because the, the 500K is a sunk yeah. cost. So $9 million, it's just, you can do better than that for $9 million. And Chase Anderson didn't have a great year. I just think if you're willing to spend $9 million, which certainly the Blue Jays will have more than that available to spend on starting pitching, but even for that chunk of $9 million, you can just spend it more efficiently. So no knock on Anderson. I'm sure he'll have a, a interest from teams around the league, but at that price, that's a decline. Yeah, you look at the fact that Kevin Gosman last offseason signed for one year $9 million. Right. And I think that you would likely rather have Kevin Gosman in your rotation than Chase Anderson. I think Chase Anderson's a fine pitcher. And, you know, this year he kind of started hurt, and then he was building up innings. And then Blue Jays weren't really letting him see a third trip through the order, as neither were the Milwaukee Brewers, it should be said, when, when Anderson was with the Brewers. And then um, he kind of ended up in a bullpen role near the, the end of the year. Like it was just kind of an odd year. For him, it was unlike what he's done in his career, and he really didn't have an opportunity to establish himself. I mean, that's a 60 game season. It was an odd year for a lot of guys, and you're right. I just think that the price tag would be too high on Anderson. Uh, you can spend those nine million dollars in a better way with Delise. Um, it's a decent rate for a guy who performed well. You know, a guy who, uh, as far as we know, is healthy, certainly effective. At this point, P. Walker and Matt Bushman know him pretty well and kind of know what makes him tick and know how to uh, sort of get the most out of him and maximize him. You know, and he's just a, a guy who seems to have pretty good composure on the mound like, you know, pretty low heart rate. There were times when it, it wasn't the smoothest ride in leverage spots, but few relievers do you know, just come in and, and be automatic and mow down three batters every time they're on the mound. And, you know, the one thing with Rafael Delis, like he doesn't really let things spiral. It's very calm, very composed. There's something there. And we also didn't see him kind of go through this extended transition process that like a Shun Yamaguchi went through in coming over from Japan. Like Rafael Delis, like, you know, maybe a little, little rough in his first outing, but like pretty much was like hit the ground running and was solid through and through for the season. So at $1.5 million, like, I just think that is a fine rate for a guy who could be a, a key piece of this bullpen again in 2021. Yeah, exactly. If the price tag was higher, you know, you could overcomplicate things and, and look at opportunity costs and, hey, you know, what, what else is out there? But it's such a low price. I mean, you're not going to do better than that for 1.5. He's not a perfect reliever, but he's good. You know, you need relievers. I think it's pretty simple to bring him back. The other decision to make around that time will be whether the Blue Jays are going to um, extend any of their pending free agents a qualifying offer. And I feel very confident in saying the Blue Jays do not have anyone who would justify such a move. So I'm just going to say that and move right along. The next juncture for, for the Blue Jays would be the 40-man roster, which likes usually kind of mid-November when you have to sort of sort that out and uh, add any prospects that you want to add to the 40 in order to uh, protect them from the Rule 5 draft. The Blue Jays obviously by that point as well would have you know shed any of their pending free agents who would be coming off the 40-man roster. Uh, you know, There's a few other ways they can open up spots as well. You know, I think that this year's Rule 5 draft could be interesting, Ben, because a lot of teams, like one would presume, and this isn't every team, but several teams you would think are going to be trying to run like smaller payrolls next year. And are going to be trying to find ways to get production and to sort of replace what they would be losing in sort of higher-priced veterans with younger players. I mean, like one way that you shed salary and save money is rostering those young players. So I do kind of wonder if there will be clubs that are looking to be active, more active than they have been in recent years at the Rule 5 drafts, 
in order to kind of fill out their rosters, particularly if, and we don't know this yet, but if in 2021, we are again dealing with 28 man rosters. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, minimum, you're looking at 26, maybe it's 27, maybe it's 28. And we don't know exactly what form the rosters will take. But the more spaces you have, the easier it is to roster someone who's unlikely to be a big contributor for your team. So is that a third catcher? Is that an extra infielder, a reliever who's you know really young, kind of in the vein of Elvis Luciano a couple of years ago with the Jays. So I, I totally agree. I think that's something they have to be wary of. Some of the names that will be eligible for the Rule 5 for the Blue Jays are Gabriel Moreno, catcher. He'll obviously be protected. He was on the taxi squad late in the season for the Jays. Just a few other names here. Otto Lopez, Kevin Smith, maybe you know you could leave him unprotected. Riley Adams, a catcher. Josh Winkowski, a right-hander. Logan Warmuth, you can probably leave him off. Cullen Large, Zach Logue, Ty Tice. I mean, there are a lot of names there. Yeah, and, and plus, there are guys who have been eligible in previous seasons uh, who have yet to be added. So all those guys as well. Now, where that leads the Blue Jays, I don't know. I think you know if recent history is any indication, you probably have room to protect three, four, maybe five guys from the Rule 5. You know, Moreno's obviously one of them. Who else gets added beyond that? I'm not exactly sure. Josh Palacios is a name that comes to mind immediately because he's a guy who was very nearly added to the 40-man last winter, and there was some concern that he was going to be lost in the Rule 5 draft. We saw him on the taxi squad Good point. for this club down the stretch. So they clearly feel highly about him. Anthony Alford no longer in the organization. I mean, Derek Fisher's future with the organization, we'll see. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll kind of see if he's around still in, in 2021. So, uh, you know, that outfield depth all of a sudden becomes kind of important. So that's a name that sticks out to me. Other outfielders, uh, Forrest Wall, who I believe was actually eligible last year yep. and didn't go selected. But, I mean, he would be eligible again. Chavez Young, another kind of, uh, you know, I, I would be surprised if he was added. But I know that he's, you know, a prospect who's had a really strong minor league season and, and a guy who the Blue Jays feel strongly about. Samad Taylor, another name, you know, Josh Winkowski, Jackson McClellans, Max Castillo. I mean, there's a number of guys and some of these players very well could have actually been traded at the trade deadline and we just don't know about it yet because maybe there are players to be named later who are in some of those deals the Blue Jays had. Like that's typically kind of the you know, where you might look to, like, if you are looking to move a prospect for when now talent at the deadline, you would go with a guy who you're about to have to make a decision with yeah. when it comes to Rule 5 and the 40-man. So that is possible that, you know, one of these guys could have been involved there. We'll, we'll find out after the season. But I think that the Blue Jays will be in a position where they are going to have to make tough decisions when it comes to adding prospects to the 40 man. That's just part of building up a, a system with a lot of interesting young talent, right? Like this, you know, the thirst for adding young talent is, you know, you'll hear Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro describe it over the last several seasons. What that produces is a volume of young players and you only have so many 40 man roster spots, which is by design. So the teams can't just hoard young players. And so the players that, you know, could be deserving of major league opportunities have an avenue to get there once they become eligible for the rule five. So we will see. It's, you can't predict anything with this MLB offseason, but I, I almost feel kind of safe in predicting that the Blue Jays will have somebody selected from their organization in the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, no, I could see that for sure. You look back, it's just last year, it feels like longer ago, but in 2019, the Rangers took Jordan Romano. I guess it was the 2018 Rule 5 draft heading into last season. And of course, you know, one year later, he's back with the Jays and, and producing. So you do have to be you know, very careful as an organization of who you leave unprotected knowing that 
you can rue the day, you know, that, that they were left uh, unprotected because some of those guys are, are really good. They just need opportunity or they're just, you know, on the, on the verge of making a little adjustment that makes them a better player. So I think when you look at the Jays, Moreno and Palacios, those are two guys that I keep an eye on as far as likely to be protected. But beyond that, there's probably room to, to protect a couple more guys. Although, of course, as an organization, if you can sneak a guy through the Rule 5, you don't think he's going to get chosen. Well, that's even better because then your 40 man is, is open. Now we're getting really into the roster, you know, minutia, right? But, yeah. I, you know, I, I do think that's something, I know that's something that teams keep in mind. And it's also possible to like fret too much about some of this like marginal stuff, like for especially for uh, people who are like really into the prospects and like know, you know, all their names and what level they finished at and all that. And like, that's all well, great and good. But, you know, the most successful rule five pick the Blue Jays have had, maybe that MLB has had recently would be Joe Biagini. Is that, I mean, right. He's a free agent right now. Totally. I mean, longtime fans will point to, you know, your George Bell. I think Kelly Gruber was a rule five as well, but, but the rules were different then too. So, yeah. you know, and Josh Hamilton, I think was a rule five. You can find guys in the rule five draft. It can actually be a pretty good source of talent, but totally. Joe Biagini is like a 80th percent, maybe 90th percentile, you know, yeah. outcome for, for choosing in the rule five. Right. And, and the Blue Jays, like, you know, they got the value of him pitching well for them out of a bullpen and on contenders. And then they actually used him in a trade and acquiring Derek Fisher. And now he's a free agent. So if the Blue Jays wanted him, they could have him just for money uh, as any other team could. So, yeah, you can't get too into the weeds of this stuff, but important decisions to be made there. After that, in early December, it is going to be ARB time and the Blue Jays must decide whether or not to tender contracts to their arbitration-eligible players, of which there are four. Travis Shaw, Ross Stripling, A.J. Cole, and Teoscar Hernandez. Obviously, you're tendering Teoscar Hernandez. We obviously can't tell you what that number will be, but somewhere in, you know, sort of in the middle of the MLB trade rumors projections there. Ross Stripling, another guy who made $2.1 million this season, or a prorated 37% of that in 2020. His projection per MLB trade rumors for 2021 is somewhere between 2.5 to 3.7. To me, I think I'd do it. Maybe you could see it as being a little borderline, just considering he's coming off of a pretty bad season. But, you know, the Blue Jays liked him enough to acquire him at the deadline. I've actually spoken about him as if he was going to be a part of the 2021 club already. Like they've kind of talked about, oh, yeah, he's here for another year, another couple of years. So, you know, like if it ends up being 2.5, 2.7, $3 million, like I think you can do worse than giving that to a guy in Ross Tripling who has a good track record and letting him actually get some real time, like not just the last month of the season, but some real time to work with Pete Walker and work with uh, Matt Bushman and kind of try to get back to the form and rediscover what he was capable of earlier in his career. And I also just think that the role that he fills, sort of that swingman, bulk reliever, can make a start for you every once in a while, that role is actually getting more and more valuable as we go forward. And in 2021, it's going to be really valuable when pitcher workloads in general, like who knows what a guy who only threw 50 to 60 innings this season can be counted on to do next year. This is something that Ross Stripling is used to. It's something that he is filled with the Blue Jays and with the Dodgers. It's something we know he is willing to do. And I think it could be valuable for the Blue Jays. So I am absolutely looking to settle something with Ross Stripling and bring him back into the fold. Agreed. I think he's worth it. It's not a huge price tag. He's a good pitcher. They're going to need innings. So you tender him for sure. And I think also you just look at 
the way the Blue Jays have spoken about him, as you said, they talk about him as though he's someone who's here and part of the future of this team. So I think very safe to say the Jays will tender Stripling. And I think that is the right call because he's he's a pitcher who should help this team next year. And he's a, a fairly uh, thoughtful and uh, intellectual guy. He's somebody who I think really thinks about his career and about sort of the art, as it were, of pitching. So I think he's somebody who's going to be really invested in diagnosing just what went wrong this year and working towards solving it, working towards getting back towards what he was earlier in his career. Like I, I, he's a guy I'd bet on is what I'm saying. So I'm, like you said, the price really shouldn't be prohibitive with him. Same could be said of uh, AJ Cole. The price shouldn't be prohibitive made 850 K this year. You know, he gets somewhat of a, you know, boost on that. I'm sure I still think you need relievers and, you know, any reliever that's costing you less than $2 million and doing what a guy like AJ Cole can do is pretty much worthwhile in, in my books. So uh, that's an easy one for me as well then. Yeah, I agree. I think it's similar to Dolis and the price tag might be comparable too, but you just need these guys. You need pitchers who are going to help you. You know, it's it's maybe not the dream reliever in the sense that these guys aren't out there throwing 98 and, you know, it's especially we're watching so much playoff baseball these days, right? And you see yeah. the way the Rays just stack their bullpen with guys who have nasty stuff, but that's not the reference point. The reference point is how can the Blue Jays make their bullpen better? Because they don't get Diego Castillo and Pete Fairbanks. They have to come up with their own bullpen. And right now, AJ Cole is better than other alternatives that they would have. And you also, you just need guys to get through 162 games. And he's someone who can help. So I think that's, again, a pretty easy decision to bring him back. So then the final one is the one guy who I think actually is a non-tender candidate in this group, and that would be Travis Shaw. He made $4 million this season. Trade Rumors has him somewhere between 4.2 to 5.4. I feel very confident saying it's not going to be 5.4. You know, somewhere from 4.5 to 5, maybe. I don't know. When it comes down to it, he was better this season than he was in 2019, surely. 2019 having been like just an absolutely like a season of despair for Travis Shaw. And he was actually non-tendered at the end of that season by Milwaukee. He was better this year, but he wasn't quite back to the 2017-2018 levels that we had seen from him. And I, I don't think that there is, you know, reason in sort of the expected stats or the exit velos or any of that stuff to suggest that he was epically unlucky or that, you know, he, you know, he was just, the fielders were positioned really well. It's a bit tricky because the Blue Jays don't have an obvious internal candidate that's pushing at third base particularly now that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has moved over to first like I don't think that Jordan Groshans or Austin Martin are going to be ready to be your third baseman on opening day 2021 so you might be out in free agency looking for someone Travis Shaw like anyway to serve there at the beginning of 2021 and kind of like bridge the gap to some of your prospects but I think at that rate, whether it's four and a half, five million, like I think you can probably do better at the position than what Travis Shaw showed in 2020. Yeah, no, I think you have to be looking for ways to do better at that position. And so it doesn't mean that you, you know, rush out to release Travis Shaw today because there's no need to. You can wait. And that's where the fact of the non-tender deadline being on December 2nd actually kind of benefits teams as opposed to players, Travis Shaw has to kind of wait and see. He, he knows he's been around the game for a long time. He knows there's not necessarily a guarantee, but it's not like he can go and talk to teams. The Blue Jays, meanwhile, can talk to teams and players and figure out all these options, which we'll get into in our next segment. But they can figure out you know, what 
are the prices of free agents? How much can I get for, let's call it 5 million bucks in free agency? They will know the answer to that question by December 2nd. And that will then allow them to make a very informed decision on Travis Shaw. So I tend to think that they'll non-tender him, but that's not something they have to decide right now. So they're in a really good position here. He had a 95 OPS plus this past season. It wasn't awful. But if you're the Blue Jays, you have to look for a way to do better than that. And I think that they likely will decide that there are better options. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not suggesting Travis Shaw isn't going to find MLB work in 2021. I think he yeah. will. I just think, yeah, at the rate, um, I think the Blue Jays just are in a position where they need to be aiming higher right now. It's 2021 is like, look, you've, you've reached the postseason 2020. You had a winning record. You got to take that next step. So you got to be better. You got to find ways to improve. You know, unless something like franchise altering is happening and you're moving Bo Bichette or Kevin Bisher or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I don't think we're expecting any of that. On the infield, third base is kind of the spot. <laughs> you know, maybe behind the plate as well. But, uh, you know, third base, certainly it's like it's it would be pretty easy for the Blue Jays to just make a sort of unmessy improvement there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's one reason why we could see Travis Shaw non-tendered. We structured this poorly. We should have ended with Teoscar Hernandez because the last bit of this sort of first segment of the Blue Jays offseason is extension candidates. And to me, like Teoscar Hernandez is sort of the, the clearest one. We might not see anybody extended by the Blue Jays this winter. Like, I don't know how the pandemic and how like the sort of financial struggles the teams have gone through and how like an uncertain market and, you know, what the trade market might look like with teams, maybe other teams looking to shed salary and this, that and the other, like how that will impact how teams feel about extending internally. But you look at Teoscar Hernandez, Entering his first year of arbitration has essentially been on a breakout since the middle of 2019. Like it's a very long and extended breakout because obviously there's a big gap in the middle there with uh, the pandemic shutting baseball down this year. But like it, a guy who has put up some just monstrous numbers over the last year and a half, essentially, it's tricky because the sample size is still rather small. So it's tough to say this is what he is. But if you really believe in the adjustments and improvements that he has made and in cutting his strikeout rate, walking more, chasing less crap, you know, doing just a better job with his plate approach and with two strikes, with getting to his pitch, like if you really believe in those approach improvements um then you know there's reason to be confident that he can continue this going forward or something close to it so in that case that would make this a pretty good time to get some cost certainty on him and to see if there is something that is sort of mutually beneficial for both teoscar and the club in terms of setting a price for a couple arbitration years and then talking about what it would take to buy out a a free agent year or two i agree i think that Teoscar, in the last you know six months of baseball, essentially, has really shown the Blue Jays something. And if you date back to June 5th, 2019, which is the day that the Blue Jays recalled him from AAA after some initial struggles last year, that's six months of baseball. And during that time, he has 39 home runs. So you're looking at a really good power hitter, someone who's OPS ranked in the top five or 10 in the American League, just a really good season for Hernandez or really good, you know, couple seasons if you look back to the end of last year. So definitely he's a guy you want on your team. And I think you want him on your team for the next few years to the point that I would be open to, if you're looking at this from the standpoint of the Toronto Blue Jays, you have to be open to locking in those three arb years. And then at that point, 
I think you have to get option years in return. I don't think you're rushing out to lock him in at 25 or $20 million a year for you know multiple years. I think you want those to be team options and they can be pricey team options. But you know if you do lock him in for the next three and then create you know a nice little buyout for him, maybe you lock in one free agent year, but I wouldn't want to do more than that. And I think you need team options on the end because otherwise you can just go year to year and there are worse yeah. things in the world than having you know, just going year to year with Hernandez and, and enjoying that production for the next three seasons. Comparables are going to be difficult with Hernandez because his, you know, he's the late bloomer thing, right? Like, and his career has been a little bit different with even getting to this point where he's, you know, entering arbitration and, and with, as you mentioned, like how strong he has been over the last year and a half. Remind me, so the Gritschuk extension would have been at his second arbitration year, correct? Uh, offhand, I do not know. Offhand, I think it was the second arbitration year, and I think so. I think they got they they locked in two arb years and then got the three free agent years on the end of that. I might have it off a little bit. Either way, like even that's not really a clean comparison, right? Like it can be easy to kind of reach for that because like power hitters, you know, on the same team, obviously, like same front office. So it sort of demonstrates like what they would be willing to do, you know, and some, you know, a financial outlay that they are willing to make. But even those sort of five years, 50 million that, that Grichuk get, I don't, I don't even know if that's a perfect comparison for it. Like, I just think it'll be hard to sort of find a comparison for Teoscar Hernandez. So yeah, as you mentioned, like at the end of the day, like it probably comes down to what Teoscar wants to do and how much he wants to bet on himself. Like if he really believes he can keep doing what he's done over the last year and a half for the next three, then bet on yourself, dude, like and get to free agency. But also at that point, when he hits free agency, that scenario, he'd probably be 31, 32. Like what are sort of, you know, guys of that age getting in free agency at that point? Probably better than the sort of the options that you would be looking at with the Blue Jays on an extension. But that's always kind of the trade-off is that the safety of like, I've made my money and look like if you can guarantee me that I'm going to, you know, be making 40, 50 million dollars in this game over the next however many years, like that's good for me. I could live on that. My family's good. I'm happy. Like, it's more money I ever thought I'd make in the world. Or you can roll the dice, gamble and go for, you know, let it ride, baby, and, and kind of see. And, and if you get to free agency, then you can make uh, untold millions more. And uh, I don't know, get that, get that second Bugatti. Happy birthday to Teoscar Hernandez, who is celebrating his 28th as we record this. Oh, nice. uh, so yeah, he's 28 now. And it, uh, obviously, in three years' time, that makes him 31. So at yeah. that point, if you were to hit free agency, I mean, yeah, you can get yourself a nice deal, but you got to produce in the meantime to do it. Got to stay healthy, no question. At least in that platform year, you got to be on the field. So they could find comps. I don't know. You know, I wouldn't have to be great. I could, they could look around and figure out what that is. But totally, it comes down to his willingness to take on risk even at this point whether it's three and a half or five or whatever the number is he's in a good spot just by virtue of having made it to arbitration which not everyone does right. he gets to have that one initial kind of cushion that allows him to pause a little bit and he can make a decision from there with his agent but you know in a lot of ways and the blue jays are uniquely kind of positioned with this stuff but in a lot of ways you want to target the pre-arb guys and in the case of the jays because they grew up around the game and because they come from privileged backgrounds to begin with the decision making there is presumably different for a biggio or a bichette or a guerrero jr but i would a hundred percent be willing to lock up Kevin biggio right now like I, i've seen enough i would lock him up now what the price tag is i don't know but i i would lock him up 
Yeah, the Bijou almost seems more realistic because he's not a superstar per se, right? He's just like a really dependable, good major league player. Like Bo Bichette has like superstar potential. You look sure. at like the numbers that he has put up over his very brief like major league career. Like it's like you know up there with some of the best names in the game, man. Like he is like been very very good. And you would expect he's going to keep getting better because he's twenty two. So you would expect he's not even like really entering his like getting even near whatever his peak is going to be. He appears to be the real deal. So he would be very costly, I would imagine, to extend. Also, because as you mentioned, like comes from a background where his dad made a bunch of money in this game. And also Bo, just kind of a guy who I'd bet is pretty liable to bet on himself. <laughs> yeah, totally. Even just the personality, right? Yeah. These, these guys are, are confident, confident players. So, um, you know, I agree with you. Like, if the Blue Jays can get something done, like, uh, by all means, like, you might as well. But if I was looking at sort of Biggio versus Bichette, I almost feel like Biggio would be more realistic to get something done with because he's older and because his ceiling as an mlb is just a, a bit lower, which isn't a knock on him. Like, he's a great player yeah. and he's, like, really, really valuable to this team in a really underrated way. But, you know, I don't know that he's going to be winning an MVP award or anything. So it might be somewhat easier to get something done with Vigio than with Bichette. Or even go to Austin Martin. And I, I'm not I'm not even kidding wow. when I say this. I'm not even... Wow. I know he's a Scott Boris client. He already signed a wow. you know, big bonus. But but why not? You haven't seen him play a professional game. Neither had Luis Robert. Neither had... Um, who's... Oh, man. Name's escaping me now. But um, not but, a big but, league game. Like a professional game. Like a game as a minor leaguer. He's a good player. I mean, if you trusted your scouts enough to take him at that point in the draft and make this commitment to him, then you 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 like him as a player. I I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't rule it out. Just as you know, before this season, they could have approached Nate Pearson. Yeah, and they have had talks with Bo before. I mean, this isn't a this concept is not totally you know foreign to any team, the Blue Jays included. These kinds of things come up. And whether it's, you know, informal or how formal that gets, I don't know. But I, I think that the earlier is, is usually better for this kind of discussion. If you extended Austin Martin this offseason, like he would have to be on your opening day roster in 2021. There are worse no problems minor league than that. games has never played above college. He played like 12 games in college <laughs> this year. Like that's barely yeah. played baseball, period. Like forget any level of baseball, period. And like Man. by opening day next year in, you know, 18 months. I mean, you could start him in the minors still. You could start him in the minors for even a full season just because While he's making big league money. Sure. Big league money. Sure, it's your roster. You can do what you want, really. And But look, I mean, I think you see Kirilov with the Twins. You see the Rays with that pitcher. These teams are allowing players to debut in the playoffs. I mean, yeah. there's seasons on the line and they're bringing these guys up. The Padres apparently were, were having some discussion around, you know, how are they going to handle their pitching and, you know, like these are concepts that come up. I don't think that you necessarily have to spend all this time in the minor leagues. That would be wild if Austin Martin was extended this offseason and started the year with the Blue Jays. Like that would be something else. I'm just saying you have to be early. You have to get these guys early, you know, and, and Mark Shapiro knows that. He was in Cleveland right. when John Hart was the, was the GM there and, and Mark Shapiro was the AGM and they made a habit of this. They locked up all kinds of players there to deals that gave Cleveland untold financial flexibility. I know it's a buzzword and it sounds like BS, but it's true. How else do you think those Cleveland teams retained the talent that they did? They did it because they locked these guys up early. And, you know, now, you know, if you go to Teoscar Hernandez, fine, as, as a pretty big market team, 
the Blue Jays could do that. But I just think, and I'm not saying it has to be Austin Martin. Like, I'm just throwing that out there as a concept and a possibility. But I just think the earlier, the better with these things. Let's step aside. uh, And when we come back, we'll look at paying big league money on actual big league players, free agents, and trades. We'll take a look at some acquisitions the Blue Jays might be able to make this uh, offseason when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson Smith. We have plowed through all of the uh, boring business of baseball that the Blue Jays have to process and take care of this season. We have doled out club options. We have uh, settled arbitration cases. We have signed Austin Martin to a lifetime deal, <laughs> the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, to pay him uh, basically whatever price he wants. He gets to actually like write the number on the check each year. He is going to be starting uh, at third base and hitting leadoff on opening day in 2021. So go get your Martin jerseys now. Is, is there anybody else's life, Ben, that you would like to change forever <laughs> while I have you here? We, we make it sound so simple, right? Like this... this <laughs> A whole front office of you know dozens of employees trying to come up with this right strategy, and we just we just lay it down here on mid October. We got to figure it out. But um, no, I did I did want to mention um, the names that were escaping me there, just on the tip of my tongue. Mackenzie Gore, of course, is the Padres prospect who was generating a little bit of buzz as an option for the Padres once they had Clevenger and Lamette go down. And then in addition to that, Shane McClanahan, Rays pitcher, who made his major league debut. In the playoffs, in, insane, incredible. So, just wanted to wanted to follow up with those names because they were escaping me there for a moment. But all that to say, that go out there and sign these guys early to extensions. That's that's my whole point here. I'm not offering blank checks. I just think you got to do it early. Speaking of names that are uh, escaping us, the the White Sox had a, a guy from the draft this year debut with them this like on the mound uh this playoffs and the name is uh just uh, completely <laughs> escaped do you know it no i don't it's just a, this is an episode of atl where we just google the player names we can't remember <laughs> yeah exactly. this, is, this is the burnout that you get after after a long season i guess yeah and it's also after like being in the grind of baseball like every day every week for you know like i don't know 10 weeks straight 12 weeks however long it was and then like just taking a second to breathe and then you're just completely out of form. Like it just, it's lost. It's gone. That's right. Uh, but anyways, yeah, the White Sox had a guy that they drafted this year, like was pitching for them um, in the postseason. So yeah, they look crazy things up, man. It's pandemic. Crazy stuff happens. 60 game season. The playoffs are expanded. There's DH in both leagues. Like all kinds of crazy things happen. Um, I think free agency will probably be pretty crazy this year. I think it'll be pretty wild, pretty interesting. I think we're going to see a lot of movement like across the league, not just in like free agency, but I think we'll see probably a lot of non-tenders um, for clubs that just don't want to pay you know players what they should be paid because they're looking to trim salary. I think we'll probably see some salary dumps through trade. Like I think we'll see a lot of a lot of movement as it pertains to the Blue Jays and how they might add from outside their organization this offseason. The biggest question is just like how much money do they have to work with? You know, like what kind of resources are we dealing with here? You know, like as we kind of touched on it off the top, Blue Jays made cuts in player development, made cuts in business operations. When we spoke to Ross Atkins at the end of the season, you know, he and he never would, but like he didn't commit to, you know, a payroll figure or to we're going to spend as much as we did last season or, you know, like it, it was all very vague and like hedged and left up in the air. So like, we really don't have a sense of like, just how, you know, just how much the Blue Jays are going to be sort of spending this off season. You would have to think 
that the fiscal challenges presented by COVID-19 would have some impact on player payroll. But like maybe that impact is just that the Blue Jays had expected to continue increasing payroll in 2021. And instead of doing that, they will just keep it the same as it was in 2020. You know, uh, maybe they'll just kind of stay level. The Blue Jays were right around sort of 110, 120 million in 2020. So I wonder if, you know, instead of like thinking, well, 2021 in a non-pandemic world, like we're pushing all in, we're going out and we're getting Bauer and we're getting this guy and that guy. And here we go. Uh, we're going to go up to 140, 150, you know, back to what the payrolls were in 15 and 16. Maybe instead of that, you just sort of leave it level for this year. Uh, particularly, I'm just speculating by the way, but like particularly considering the fact there is no certainty as to where you're going to play your games next year, but with the way that things have sort of developed with this pandemic and how far off a vaccine seems to be, you almost bet against having games at Rogers Center next season, uh, certainly with fans in attendance. Yeah, it's so wild, right? Because we tend to think of what happened this past summer as so exceptional and I sincerely hope it was, but we don't know that that's the case. And the Toronto Blue Jays don't know that that's the case right now. Obviously, when they were making that decision, they required a lot of cooperation from the federal and, and municipal and provincial government, some of which they got, some of which they didn't get. So we can't assume that they are going to be back. We certainly can't assume that fans are going to show up. The one thing that you know you kind of hope is that people are watching and people are engaged and you know, obviously everyone listening to this podcast is a big Blue Jays fan. We enjoy having that discussion. We enjoy having that interest and having the Blue Jays be, you know, front of mind in Canada. That's something that everyone would want, but we don't know how that impacts free agency and spending. Not exactly clear. I certainly don't get the impression that the Blue Jays have to, you know, collapse their payroll or they have to find ways to move money. I think they can add. I mean, I think I'm under the impression at least, and this is a loose impression rather than a very specific one, but I'm under the impression that they're in a position to be able to certainly add and address their needs in free agency and trades. Yeah, and I think we can actually make that case just based on what we know for certain. The Blue Jays likely have right around $55 million on the books for 2021. You add sort of your pre-arb guys to that, that falls between five to eight million dollars somewhere in there like let's say you know 60 to 63 million now with the like money that is actually committed and pre-arb guys so 60 to 63 is much less than the 110 to 120 that you were spending this season so unless you were slashing payroll dramatically which i think we would have a sense of i think the blue jays will have money to spend like i think they will have like anywhere from like 40 to 50 to 60 million dollars to throw around um this offseason and and in order to add so i think the blue jays actually can be pretty opportunistic with this free agent market which like there's a lot of uncertainty as to what that market's going to look like but i think there's some question as to whether there's going to be as many spenders as usual um i think a lot of clubs are going to be trying to trim payroll like no club had gate revenue this past season, I know they all made a lot of money on TV and on broadcast rights, but I mean, look, don't forget the entire labor scuffle that we went through before this season um, in which owners were suggesting that actually it's bad to own a, a, a baseball team and actually we're losing money and actually we're poor. So like, I, you know, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be looking to trim back money with major league salaries this offseason, particularly those owners who aren't in big markets like 
like Toronto and don't have the the biggest television contracts. So, you know, I think there could be some relative bargains to be had on the free agent market. And I think the Blue Jays are pretty well set up to to be opportunistic and take advantage of those. Totally. And and that opens up a lot of doors. I mean, we'll we'll get into some of these specifics, but I, I think not only are they opportunistic or are they positioned to be opportunistic in the sense that they should have flexibility in the kind of resources that are available to them, but also where they spend it. They could spend on the rotation and probably should. They could spend on a bat and probably should. And the bullpen, historically, they haven't spent a lot on. I kind of agree with that philosophically. I think that's probably a good way to avoid risks, can avoid bad contracts. But still, you have to spend a little bit on the bullpen. So they have a lot of flexibility in a couple of different ways. Let's start with the in-house players who will be becoming free agents. And let's see if there's anybody that we'd like to bring back to the Toronto Blue Jays. So in-house free agents, among them, Anthony Bass, Ken Giles, Joe Panic, Robbie Ray, Matt Shoemaker, Jonathan VR, Taiwan Walker. Let's just draw a quick line through Ken Giles, who's going to be having Tommy John surgery, not coming back. I think we can draw a line through Joe Panic, who uh, you know did a fine job this year, but I just you know came in on my early deal. Not somebody that we're going to be considering right now when we're looking at you know free agent outlays for the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's draw a line through Jonathan VR, who uh, was brought in to do a job with the Blue Jays, didn't do it particularly well, and I just really don't see any reason for there to be a, for that relationship to continue. You yeah. got something? No, I just I just you want to take one, one last boot at Jonathan VR. You know what? I <laughs> he just didn't play well. He just yeah. did not play well. I just like, and I know it's it's recency bias and everything else. I know he's he's a good major league player based on based on the overall big picture. But man, like, was he ever unimpressive? Was he ever unimpressive? All right, <laughs> that's all. But, that's all. Let that be the last time yeah. that we uh, yeah that we mentioned him on this podcast. So that leaves us with Bass, Ray, Shoemaker, Walker. Let's even just kind of put Bass aside, like reliever you could bring him back at you know one and a half two million dollars i'm sure but like you know like there's gonna be a lot of anthony basses available on the free agent market i'm pretty sure like it's gonna be a lot of those guys coming in minor league deals remember aj cole was a minor league deal let's kind of deal with the big fish here and so that brings us down to sort of the three starters robbie ray matt shoemaker and taiwan walker are you looking to bring any of these guys back for 2021 and beyond yeah i would i would talk to all three uh, without a doubt and I would be willing to go multiple years on Taiwan Walker. I would think about doing that for Robbie Ray. I would try to express sincere interest in Shoemaker and, and, and hope that he wants to come back because all those guys helped. I mean, you know, if they were willing to come back at a certain price, I would have a totally open door to any of those guys. Now, that's kind of a non-answer, really. Really, it's a question of what price you go to. Um, so I'll, I, I guess I'll kind of, I'll, I'll send it back to you, Arden. Like, would you go multiple years on Walker? Would you go multiple years on Ray or on Shoemaker? Yes, yes, and yes. But I do actually have a preference of those okay. three. Let's hear uh, and to me, that's Taiwan Walker. That's if I'm ordering it, like he's atop my list. Like that yep. is my guy based on the age. He's younger. So even if I had to like say, you know, you want to talk terms, if I had to go three three years of them, like I'd I'd be comfortable doing that. Like I'd be fine, like considering his age. Ever since the Tommy John and the injury issues that he's dealt with, he has been dependable. You know, in twenty twenty one in twenty twenty he was dependable and he made his starts. His stuff rebounded nicely from the injury trouble that he had, you know, Pete Walker and, and Matt Bushman know him better now, um, you know, and I've worked with him a bit. And I think there's a lot to work with there too. 
when you look at sort of the the four pitch mix that he has and the fact that he's not afraid to work in the zone and the pitch to contact like doesn't walk a ton of guys a really good competitor on the mound as we saw several times you know we are led to believe we weren't in the clubhouse this year but led to believe pretty strong leadership traits just a dude who gets outs so like of those three i i would be you know prioritizing getting something done with taiwan walker yeah i think that's fair i i would expect you know you look at last year and it's an imperfect comparison for all the reasons we've been talking about it's probably the best comparison that we have though and a guy like tanner Rowark got two years kyle gibson got three years we saw jordan lyles get two years so you know i don't think it's unreasonable at all to think that taiwan walker will get two years and, and the pitching market's pretty thin you've got trevor bauer obviously you've got james paxton you've got order he was coming off a down year where he dealt with a couple injuries tanaka is a free agent I don't think he's coming to Toronto, but you know, you've got some guys out there, but if you're a halfway decent starting pitcher, your chance at a multi-year deal is pretty good. So I think table stakes two years for Walker to get it done. It might, you might have to go to three and I don't know if I go there, but I don't think it's crazy either. Would you do like three years at like an AV of, uh, I don't know, 14, 15 or no, probably not, probably not but someone might, so yeah, somebody someone might. for yeah. Walker. Like, yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable. No, they didn't, no. what Keichel did like three years, like 55. 55. Yep. So in year one, that was a great deal. He was, yeah. he was great with the White Sox. But, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think he gets to that AAV, Walker. Right. No, I don't think he gets to 18, but like at yeah. 14? It's not crazy. Right? It's not crazy. So I, I, don't, I don't think it would be crazy for the Blue Jays to do that. We saw them extend with Jay Hop. They went three years at Jay Hop. That's right. right. Three at three at twelve. He had been more durable, certainly, but like Taiwan Walker is much younger than Jay Happ was at the time. I want to say, um, and so like I, I would be totally comfortable going three years of Taiwan Walker. I'm not. I don't understand your reticence in doing that. It's just a question of what else is out there, you know. Like because maybe you get Odorizzi's for ten over one, you know, and yeah. maybe maybe that's a better way to go because he was great two years ago. Maybe you get Bauer at forty over one. Right. So it's it's not <laughs> it's not a knock on Taiwan Walker. It's just right. it's what else you could get. You know, it's what else sure. you can do with that money. When it comes to Robbie Ray, that is kind of so. If I'm sort of ordering these guys in terms of uh, I don't know who intrigues me the most or who I'm like most interested in, he's kind of number two for me, just because the stuff is so good. Like the stuff is so unbelievable like his side his ceiling like his ability is so 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 high it's much higher than walker much higher than shoemaker you just don't know that you can trust him to be reliable you just don't know that you can trust him to find the strike zone i don't know like how clubs are going to approach the free agency of robbie ray because there is like such volatility there and such variance in his results but i do know there's going to be a lot of clubs that are interested in him because like it is hard to find stuff like he has and to find like just raw pure ability like he has like he has just been so messed up with his mechanics and with his consistency in finding the strike zone over the last sort of 12 to 15 months whatever it's been it's just it's hard for me to kind of predict what type of terms he's going to be looking at but you know if i'm the blue jays i'd be fine with going like two years 24 million with him honestly like i wouldn't you know i wouldn't shake my head at that yeah that's not crazy i mean that's the tanner Roark terms right and right from pitcher profiles but in the one case with Roark, he offers you quote-unquote certainty in the case of robbie ray he offers you upside without a doubt now the walks are a concern there's no question there i think at the same time 
you look at at a pitcher who was you know dealing with that delivery restructure and it didn't work and you know maybe you just attribute this to a lost season of course he's had trouble with throwing strikes in the past and that's an area that Ross Atkins identified as one the Blue Jays need to improve in so do you improve in that area by bringing back the guy who you know led the National League and walks at the time he was he was traded and wild pitches and I, I don't know it's not crazy. You know, those terms I think are, are not crazy. And I like that we're getting specific here because otherwise it's kind of meaningless, right? Like, yeah. of course you want Robbie Ray on your team. Of course, no pitching staff has, well, maybe the Rays, but very few pitching staffs could not make room for Robbie Ray. So you right. want him. He's, he's someone who helps your team. But it's all, it's all a question of price. Same with Shoemaker. I mean, with Shoemaker, I don't know why. Maybe this is like age bias. I tend to suspect that teams even though, of course, I'm like the same age as Shoemaker. But, you know, teams... You're I so think old, are, Ben. Yeah, yeah I'm feeling it, man. Dude. Yeah. yeah, no, that's right. But <laughs> I think teams might be hesitant to go two years on Shoemaker, if I had to guess. But for one year, I mean, he's been really good when he's taken the mound the last couple of years for the Blue Jays. You can't deny that. I bet you, like, if Roark got two years, like, I would think Shoemaker can get two years. It's the injury thing with Shoemaker, yep. right? Like, But a lot of the injuries... There's nothing he could do about them, right? Like the ball goes off his head, he tears his ACL. Like some of this stuff is just, it's fluky stuff, man. And like at a certain point, like he's just been really, really unlucky in his career. Yeah. It's been really unfortunate. Yeah. Some of the happenstance that he yeah. has experienced, but that, that also makes it really tough to figure out terms for him. Because if you like, if you could even count on in a 162 game season, just getting 120 to 150 innings out of Shoemaker, I'm not asking for 200, right? 120 to 150, you'd sign up for two years at what he has shown, you know, the 100%. stuff he's shown. The velo has yeah. been fine. The stuff is electric. He's a hell of a competitor. Like he's a, like he really is like fighting for you on the mound. Um, I think you feel strong about him. It's just how do you sort of weigh some of the, you know, injury luck that he's had. The thing about the, the the good position the Blue Jays are in is that they know Matt Shoemaker as well as anybody. And, you know, even in the month that they got to know Robbie Ray and like the five weeks that they got to know Taiwan Walker, like they've gotten to know those guys. And more importantly, Pete Walker has gone to know those guys and Matt Bushman has gone to know those guys and like Blue Jays analysts and, you know, like R&D and people who are actually going to be trying to help these guys get better going forward, trying to help these guys maximize their value throughout the course of any potential contract they would sign. They've gone to know these guys. So they've like, that gives the Blue Jays sort of the inside track on, you know, what they would offer them and like what they would be comfortable doing. So like, I would assume that, you know, the front office having some like very blunt conversations with someone like Pete Walker, just about, you know, their belief in each of those individuals and like what they like about what they do, you know, whether they believe they actually can, you know, get better, be what they've been earlier in their careers and like i will just say like as an objective observer like this blue jays um i don't even know what to call it like pitching department like crew like the people who work on pitchers with the blue jays organization like i will bet on that staff when you look at some of the results that they have put up with like some of the relievers that the blue jays have brought in over the last several years like a lot of people will say oh you know the blue jays front office is like so good at targeting relievers and they always you know hit on these relievers that they bring in well like that totally undersells the work that is done once an individual is brought in by p walker and like by analytics folks and like by analysts and everyone who is looking at what these guys are doing and trying to make tweaks and helping them get better and helping get buy-in from those players to trust in the changes that they are making the adjustments that they are making like you know i just think that the blue jays don't get enough credit for the work that they do with pitchers it's not just about like 
identifying a guy who could be good. Because like if you're at this level and if you're actually in the conversation for a major league job with any of the three teams, you have traits and characteristics that say you can be good at this level. Like you do something well. Like you 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 have stuff. It is getting the most out of that stuff. And it is getting the most out of you know yourself as an athlete going forward and the tweaks and adjustments and changes that you make with a pitching coach and with a staff that works on pitchers that that really you know produce uh some of these great success stories that we've seen in toronto so i will you know if if pete walker and matt bushman are coming to me and my analysts are coming to me and saying like hey robbie ray stuff like there's something that we know we can fix there we know we can tweak we know we can make him better i'm trusting in those guys because they have a pretty proven track record yeah, Pete Walker, you know, has been a big part of these decisions for for years, and I, I'm sure will remain, you know, part of those decisions. Like a lot of coaches, you know, he's at the winter meetings, and and you know, of course, they they send a lot of people. Well, in in a normal year, they send a lot of people, but but yeah, I, th- I think Pete Walker has has earned you know a lot of trust from Ross Atkins and the rest of the front office. And like you say, I mean, the results do speak for themselves. I think he deserves he deserves credit, and that whole that whole uh, staff does. So. There is room to bring on, aside from some of these established names we're talking about, there's even room to bring on some quote-unquote projects and see what happens. Outside free agents, aside from the guys who are, you know, who the Blue Jays already know who have been in-house, ATL listeners will not want to hear me go through my JT Real Muto pitch again. But I think that everybody knows that I think the Blue Jays should go hard after JT Real Muto this uh, this winter. What do you got? L- let me re- interject quickly right there. Yeah. I-, I saw a report that and I forget where I saw it or else I would attribute this, but I saw a report saying that Real Muto might want a two hundred million dollar deal. If that is the price, are you still in? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm not at two hundred million dollars. But like I would then need you need him to show me that he can get that and that he has that out there. Right. And then I right. will uh I will not shake his hand because we don't shake hands anymore, but I will uh, you know, like give him a head nod and say as you you know off you go <laughs> good yeah. for you man like yeah get that yacht buddy like there you go like i don't know that he's gotten 200 million dollars then are you going over 100 for him at least no i am like looking around more like 80 oh i like, don't think you get him for 80 80 to a 80 to a hut I, I don't know i would approach 100 i haven't looked at i haven't gone yeah, that far yeah, into yeah. it no yeah I, I all that to say i think the number's going to be big but i, I mean obviously we how could you not love JC Real Muto? I mean, he's a great yeah. player. So that goes without saying. It's, it's, you know, with all these things, it's a question of price. It's just so rare to find a catcher who can produce offensively like Real Muto can, who also is like, you know, he's, I, I don't think he's the best defensive catcher in the game, but I think that he's absolutely fine. Like, I think he's above average. Like, he had a really good defensive season in 2019. He was just like, he was just so so in 2020 but like that's still you know i think that would still be an improvement on what we saw defensively from blue jays catchers this season and it is like a night and day improvement offensively to bring in a guy like him who doesn't strike out too much draws a walk hits for a gang of power you know the exit velocities are there and you know you just look at the all-around impact that a catcher has on your team when you look at game calling handling pitchers no position on the diamond impacts run prevention like catcher so you are making like a big impact on not only run production but run prevention and so like i just think that that is just a a massive move that you can make like we always go back to what russell martin brought to this team but like it was so important so undervalued like so impactful 
his signing. And what was he? Five years, 80 million, something, something 82. 82, something like that. So yeah, maybe I do have to go 100 for JT Real Muto. That's five years later, right? Real Muto's a better player, I would say. And, uh, you know, he might even younger. be younger, yeah. right? Yeah, I think he's like 29. So uh, yeah, maybe I do have to go 100, 100 plus. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm there. Like, I just think that it's just like, it is absolutely the blue something the Blue Jays need to very, very strongly explore. I agree. I like that one. I like Trevor Bauer. I mean, I'm not, I, I like what Trevor Bauer brings on the field. Let me be very specific. <laughs> um, I think that he is a very good major league pitcher and you need very good major league pitchers. I know. Sign him just for that vat of sticky stuff. Just for yeah, the recipe. Right. Oh, as if, the Jays, as if the Blue Jays don't have their own, right? Like, you know. As, he's got the best not, one, clearly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as, if, as if he's the only one in baseball with that, yeah. right? The Jays know exactly where to I'm not saying they're using it. I'm not trying to stir anything up here. But they know exactly <laughs> where to find that stuff. Every team does. But yeah, um, but yeah Trevor Bauer, he's a good pitcher. I mean, yeah, you, um, you got to have that conversation. You have just, I mean, I'm just looking at it right now. Uh, Yasmani Grandal got four years, $73 million. I didn't realize that. So, uh, yeah, I you know you're definitely going to have to look at like $100 million for Real yeah. Muto. And I would if I were the Blue Jays. Like Same. I, have, I have no problem going to nine figures for JT Real Muto. How far above 100? I don't know. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's a discussion that would happen far above our heads. So yeah, yeah, Bauer, obviously, like obviously, it's the easiest thing to say in the world. If you were listening to that letters two years ago, you heard us saying like the Blue yeah. Jays should sign Trevor Bauer when he becomes a free agent. Totally. Um, not only because he's like really, really, really good and he like can manipulate his curveball in, in uncommon ways. Um, and not only because like he's data driven and uh, because like he's a guy who like really gets into the weeds of like a lot of the stuff that the Blue Jays are trying to preach with with pitchers like and kind of understanding your recovery and you know understanding um, you know just like objective measurements of your stuff and of uh, just kind of like using data and information to be better going forward and to help stay on the field but also because he had expressed a willingness to sign like a one or two year deal I don't know if that's the same coming off a Cy Young season like I you know coming off the year that he had I can't imagine his value will ever be higher in this game because he's only gonna be getting older right this is coming off of the year that he had when he was like absolutely epic they're like they're, i can't imagine his value is ever higher so if he has the opportunity to cash in right now at five six years in the yankees or whoever i can't imagine he wouldn't do that i don't know like maybe he really does just want to prove a point and he like really does like he really is that stubborn i don't know I would be surprised if those kind of terms, you know, like the money that would come with a five, six year deal, if that's on the table, I would be surprised if he wasn't looking at signing that at this point. I mean, first of all, and not to totally sidetrack us, but, uh, you know, this is the most interesting free agent case that I can recall in, in probably since Harper and Machado. So in a couple of years, because those guys were super interesting too in their own right. I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but it's, an, it's a really, really interesting free agent case in that we don't know what kind of terms he's looking for. I mean, it could be one year, it could be four, it could be seven, it could be eight, it could be seven with opt-outs after the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth seasons. Like, we have no idea. And Bauer has an agent who doesn't have a lot of track record in the industry, Rachel Luba. This is not, you know, your standard, you know, CAA, Excel, Scott Boris client, where it's, you know, they have a lot of experience, they have a way of doing things, and it kind of leads in the same direction a lot of the times. So it's going to be super interesting. I, I think if you're the Jays, you got to be careful about being played here. Bauer is very, you know, very obviously trying to generate buzz amongst 
all kinds of fan bases. Just look at his, look at his Twitter account. It, yeah. You know, he's he's basically calling out Angels, Yankees, Dodgers, Blue Jays, all these teams trying to create a market for himself. Not that he has to, but he's trying to do that. So if I'm the Jays, you, you have to be cautious about being used. But at the same time, if he helps your team, you have to be open to making a big offer and seeing if seeing if he's interested. You don't want to get pulled into a winter of drama with Trevor Bauer because there are better ways to use your time and energy. <laughs> yeah. I believe that strongly. But at the same time, you have to have the conversation. Well, and that's where I think the Blue Jays process will benefit them because they will say, all right, these are the terms that we will go to for Trevor Bauer. Like, this is what we'll do. And I don't think they would get into, you know, pulled into a winter of drama where it is like exchanging offers and, you know, moving up and being played off each other with other teams. Like, I think the Blue Jays would say, like, this is what we'll do, Trevor. Take it or leave it. Like, that's it. Like, I think there were terms the Blue Jays would have gone to for Garrett Cole, like last offseason. Yeah. And I just don't think they were ever really necessarily invited to the table, even. But, and I don't think they were going to the 324. No, but, right. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, there were terms, of course. Right. And I'm sure they engaged on those terms with Scott yes. Boris. And he said, no, oh, have you heard of Hunjin Ryu? How about him, right? So like, I just think that I would bet the Blue Jays wouldn't follow him down that path. There should be a bit of relationship there from Cleveland, right? Like there should be at least some, they should know each other a little bit. So maybe they know a bit about what makes him tick. Maybe they, you know, have a better idea of him than maybe other teams will. But I agree with you. It's going to be just like fascinating to watch that play out. I just think like, look, I'd love to see it if he was like betting on himself year to year. Like that would be amazing, right? But it's, if they're going to put six years and X million, you know, nine figures, whatever it ends up being on the table in front of you, you're not taking that, you know? Who knows? Maybe the Dodgers step in and offer 100 over three, you know, or like he's yeah. going to have a lot of offers. It's going to be interesting. Are there any other pitching targets that sort of interest you, like a Jake Odorizzi or a James Paxton or anybody kind of in that sort of second tier bracket that uh, you could see the Jays being interested in? Yeah. And, and, you know, this year, yeah, Bauer is the first tier, but those guys are the kind of 1B. Odorizzi, yeah, you have to have a conversation with him. The Jays had interest last year, obviously accepted the QO from the Twins. Um, this year, he'll be coming in below that, without a doubt, after, after missing that time. Maybe one over 10. I don't know. That's speculative. But I think you have a conversation there. Tanaka, sure, have the conversation. Paxton, Paxton. Canadian, you see. Obviously, the Jays have a different relationship with Canadian players and one that they can potentially use to their advantage, being the only team in Canada. And, and obviously... Their families watch sports now, right? Like that's a difference compared to, you know, the guys from uh, Idaho or Texas or California. So it's, it's a little thing, but you have that conversation with Paxton. To me, there's no one that jumps out. There's no one that you say, you have to go and get this guy, but they have to get someone. They probably have to get, I think, at least two starting pitchers. I wonder about sort of a shorter term deal with Paxton coming off the injury stuff, coming off of a down year. Like, I wonder if there's like an opportunity there for like a one to two year sort of pillow deal with him um, in which he gets to prove his health and effectiveness before re-entering the market after this season, the one or the one after. It's an interesting idea. And then, and then at the same time, I'm kind of thinking, Okay, well, if you're James Paxton, you want to play in Canada. Well, how, how does he even know he's going to be able to play in Canada this year, yeah, right? right? So if he's ever going to do that, maybe wait until he's 35. You know, maybe this isn't the year to do it. I don't, I don't know. But this, it kind of reinforces that the variable of where they play and what that looks like, that is a, a variable to keep in mind here for the Chase. Well, yeah, and free agents are going to want to know, like, where they're signing. Not just the players, like, their families, right? Like, you got a spouse, you got kids, you got parents, whatever, right? You got dogs. Like, they're going to want to know, like, where is home base going to be 
in 2021. And if the Blue Jays can't guarantee like that's going to be Toronto, well, it might be guys don't want to live in Buffalo for a summer, right? Like there is, you know, that is a, a variable here that it's going to be very tough for the Blue Jays to give any certainty with regards to, as you mentioned, because so much of that decision-making process is out of their hands, is in the hands of provincial and federal governments, which when they are making that decision next spring, whenever 2020 season begins, like whenever that's happening, they're going to want to know what's the situation at the time with the pandemic. Like what are numbers looking like right now? What type of mitigation measures are going on? What's travel looking like? Is the border open or closed? the government isn't going to give you uh, any kind of certainty now when you're talking to free agents. They're going to say, yeah, we'll wait and see what things look like in April. 100%. It is a very tough position to be in. And that's part of the sales pitch that the Blue Jays have to prepare. I mean, as they prepare for these meetings with free agents and their representatives, they have to have a good answer for that question at a time that probably not a great answer exists, but they have to at least say, we're on it. We're optimistic. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it looks like. You can't lie to these guys either. So, you know, you're kind of limited, but you have to be prepared for that in your conversations and in your pitches. Quickly on the position player side, I would expect that the Blue Jays maybe, you know, look up the middle as they always do. So, you know, I would think that they'd engage on like Marcus Simeon or Angelton Simmons. They talked to Didi Gregorius last season. Like I'm, you know, safe to assume they'll likely do so again, you know, see if there's, a fit there. Um, the one guy that I'm going to kind of vouch for that I'm going to you know, lobby for right now is Tommy Listella. I think the Blue Jays should have grabbed him at the deadline instead of Jonathan VR. Maybe they tried to and just the, you know, the price didn't, didn't line up. But like that is a guy who I think the Blue Jays should be adding in via free agency, like multi-positional dude, which obviously the Blue Jays love left-handed bat. You can fill that sort of Eric Sogard, Joe Panic role but he can do it as like a legit major leaguer and not somebody who you bring in on a minor league deal. High contact, low strikeout, does not strike out. <laughs> like epically low strikeout numbers. Not a premium defender, but a guy who plays a bunch of different positions and, and isn't, isn't a butcher. Just just a, a polished major league player. So I, I would be looking to, to see if you can get something done there. Yeah, I think that's a conversation worth having. Obviously a player who could help, you know, especially depending on the size of the rosters, you could go after a guy like Listella and still have room for Didi Gregorius, for example. And I, I think that'd be a great fit. Didi, just a really good player. I, I think he would help for sure. My interest is also drawn to, especially in the context of a Blue Chase team that's made a lot of deals in the Pacific Rim in the last 12 to 18 months. You look at Yamaguchi, you look obviously at Hyunjin Ryu, and even Dolis. But I'm kind of intrigued by this Korean shortstop, Hassan Kim. He is going to be posted this winter, and he had a 932 OPS last year in the KBO, and he's just 24 years old. So that's a guy that I would be looking at, shortstop, but whatever. I mean, they can figure out the positions. They've been aggressive. They've made a lot of inroads in that market. And I I think also, and this is totally speculative because I have no idea what Kim's personality is, but if you look at a Blue Jays team that has a guy in Hunjin Ryu, who's obviously very well-known and respected in Korea, that could even be a selling point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Explore that. Like so much of those Pacific Rim deals kind of come down to what that player's preference is. Yep. Right. Like look at Otani, right? Like pretty, you know, pretty narrow line of preferences like for him, right? Who is a player that 30 teams would have been looking to acquire. So then the Blue Jays might, you know, engage in that and find, oh, it's not going to be us like very quickly. But yeah, if there's an opening there, like absolutely. You got to look into that. One more name I'll just throw out. 
is it just feels like Michael Brantley is the kind of guy that this front office would go after, doesn't it? Like, it's, there's obviously a history there. And, you know, it's like, it look, had a perfectly fine season, you know, a little bit older, but like, you know, plenty productive, high contact, low strikeout, could fit into, you know, you can play the kind of like a fourth outfield, but probably playing more than that. So maybe you got to move an outfielder to do it. He just feels like a guy who's a fit with this, with this crew. Yeah, I think he got 32 over two last time. Do you yeah. maybe do that same deal again? He's a good hitter. I mean, they here's the thing with this lineup. They have a, a very good lineup. And as we were saying before, they will have a good lineup, whether it's Travis Shaw or somebody else. But why not take your shot right now and try to make it into a great lineup? And adding a very good major league hitter like a Michael Brantley would just lengthen it. And at that point, maybe Telez is your seven, Gritchuk is your eight, Kirk and Jansen are your nine. I mean, that at that point, you have a really, really good deep major league lineup and that's of course assuming health which never happens so more likely that's maybe where a Listella comes in or maybe it's a prospect who's coming up or it's Santiago Espinal so it's not to say that you're going to have your a lineup out there all the time but that's you know whether it's Brantley George Springer his teammate I think is is very much of interest I don't know what term he's going to get Jays might be priced out uh, you know, I shouldn't say priced out, but they might not decide to try to be the high bidders there. I, I think at the same time, you have to have trade talks about guys like Lindor and Chris Bryant. Bryant obviously coming off a rough year, but have that conversation. The Cubs are in the midst of a transformative offseason, potentially. They might be willing to move on. So you have that talk. I think DJ LeMayhew, when you look at what he does, I know I'm throwing a lot of names at you here, but I think DJ LeMayhew is just, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. And I think he's going back to the Yankees. I mean, that's not a reach. I think 90% he goes back to the Yankees. But in that 10% that he doesn't, can you imagine him hitting, you know, third? And you go Biggio, Bichette, DJ LeMahieu, Vlad, Lourdes, Teoscar. Like, your lineup is great at that point. And, you know, so I don't know what the price is, but if he would do... I don't know, is he, is he going to do 68 over four or 60 over three? Or I don't know what the number is, but you have to have that conversation. He's just such a great fit with New York and with their franchise. Like there's just like quiet robotic dude that, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine him not going back there. I agree. But yeah, no, absolutely. Like explore that if, if he's willing to come to Toronto, like explore the door. Yeah, for sure. Like I think the Blue Jays explored it last time that he was kind of being shopped around and he obviously yeah. didn't end up being traded, but I bet you the Blue Jays talked pretty seriously with Cleveland about Lindor. You know, like we know the Blue Jays like him. I think they'd move Bichette off short for uh, Francisco Lindor. It would obviously take a big deal to do it and you might not want to do it if you aren't extending him immediately. But that would be like, that's the type of, you know, huge swing franchise altering move you know like it would the only comparable that we have seen from this front office has been Hunjin Ryu and that was just money right that was just four years 80 million dollars so this would be an even bigger leap if you're getting a Lindor or a yeah like a Bryant you know in terms of you're giving up prospect capital and then maybe you're trying to spend money to extend them that would be a really really franchise shifting you know like forward looking shifting move for this club to make yeah. And yet I think it's got to be within the realm of what you're looking at. I saw somewhere, man, I am not, I, my attribution is just uh, really <laughs> off today, but I forget where I saw this, but I saw somewhere that Lindor might've indicated to somebody that the Blue Jays were a team he'd be open to going to for what that's worth. Man, we are really delving into the gossip portion of ATL right now. But I think when you look at, at Lindor, Puerto Rican manager probably can't hurt a young team, an exciting team on the rise Toronto's a great city to play in if the Jays are indeed playing in Toronto. 
obviously we're biased. We live in Toronto anyway, but you can, you can see the appeal of this team as they start to become legit that another player would look at this group and say, I actually want to join that team and I want to be a part of what's happening. Yeah, he's got a history with the president and the GM. I would say if you miss out on Lindor and if you don't end up acquiring him, why not go trade for Trevor Story? Entering his his final year of arbitration with the Rockies, a club that I would say is probably unlikely to extend him. It's kind of profile that this front office likes, right? Dude barrels the ball. He's got an elite tool in his speed. Uh, and he plays a premium uh, position well. And he's like, what, 27, 28 years old? That's a decent consolation prize right there. What could go wrong when you trade for the Rockies franchise shorts? <laughs> like what, <laughs> what, what could go wrong? I mean, it's, a, it's foolproof, right? I'm just trying to yeah. rack my brain here. There's no possible way that could go wrong. <laughs> no, no, I, I totally agree. I'm just, I'm, I totally agree. He's a great player and he would help. That's good. Tulo uh, was number two, by the way. I checked that yeah. earlier. All yes. right. Was, I'm glad we got circle. that right. I got a few, as, as we wrap up, a couple other names I'll uh, throw out here. How about Will Myers? from the San Diego Padres. The Padres could be a club that's looking to shed salary. Uh, we know AJ Preller likes to, to wheel and deal. Positional flexibility with Will Myers, which is clearly something the Blue Jays covet. Like that's always going to be the awkward thing with trading for like an everyday big leaguer at this point, is at this point he's going to be taking somebody's job. Unless it's a third baseman, like he is taking somebody's job around the diamond. Somebody's moving, being moved moved out somebody is going to see a reduction in playing time somebody's going to have to change positions whatever or a second well, baseman Kevin Biggio I mean I know he plays all yeah, over yeah. but I would put Biggio there as my second baseman yep. thinking right like Gordes, Grichuk, Hernandez, Vlad, Biggio, Bo, empty slotted third, Dane Jansen behind the plate right so yep. somebody's losing a job but the thing with Will Myers he could play all over First, third, all three outfield spots. Had a really strong 2020. Like again, barrels the ball, big time exit velocities, good sprint speed, quick dude. He's going to cost you a lot of money. I think it's like 20 million or 22 million each of the next two years. Like he's on a pretty big deal. That's also why the Padres might be motivated to move him. And that is also why the acquisition cost could be lower because you were eating that salary and the Blue Jays are in a position to do it. That's intriguing. I have not thought about Will Myers, but I did notice, obviously, he had a great year with San Diego. And historically, that's not been a team that spends a ton. You don't know exactly what their offseason outlook is looking like, but I like that idea. And I think that's an example of the outside-the-box thinking, particularly on the trade front. If, indeed, the Blue Jays have a hard time luring free agents to Toronto because of the uncertainty or whatever else, you got to turn to the trade market. And a guy like Will Myers in that situation would be one of the options you have to look at. Let me throw two more at you because I want to get your reaction on them. Yep. The first one's on a pretty unrealistic. Michael Conforto of the New York Mets entering his final year of arbitration, getting pricey. Mets under new ownership. Who knows? Maybe they're looking to shed salary. Maybe they're going to rebuild. I don't know. Maybe they're going to look to go all in and that makes it like a moot point. But I would be calling about him just because he is kind of at that position this offseason that like, you know, Lindor was at in offseasons past where maybe a club is looking to trade him now and kind of capitalize on getting some more value in return. I think have the conversation. Again, really good player. You, you think about you know, having him at the top of the order, great OBP, and you can make the pieces fit with the outfield. I don't know that if you're the Mets at this point in time with new ownership, or is your first move as the new owners going to be, we're going to trade away you know, one of our good young players? Rip the bandit off. Yeah, right? you could. But you don't know until you have that conversation. My last one is much more realistic. Eduardo Escobar. Arizona's been shedding payroll, 
essentially since the trade deadline, right? Like starting Marte was traded, Archie Bradley, Robbie Ray obviously got traded. Escobar is due, I believe it's uh, $7.5 million next year. Wonder if Arizona is looking to get out from under it. A guy who could play all over the infield, got that positional flexibility, which the Blue Jays like. Didn't have the best 2020, but a guy who's been like up over 100 OPS plus for uh, each of the three seasons prior. Uh, switch hitter, doesn't strike out a ton. Speed element. Like it's not like a game changer by any means, but maybe that is kind of your guy who fills in at third base and also kind of like spells at second and short, maybe first a little bit, but mostly fills in at, at third until you have like a Groshans or a Martin ready to step in. Interesting. So did the Diamondbacks extend him recently? I don't I don't remember offhand. I, I do know this. I mean, when you have the Diamondbacks and the Blue Jays. Mike Hazen is someone that Ross Atkins refers to as one of his better friends in the game. Clearly, they talk. Clearly, there's you know an open line of communication, which you know that's the case with every team, but some more so than others. And Escobar has been a really good player. He was really, really good in 2019. Um, so I think it's a possibility. I tend to think of that as like a later off season if other things don't pan out possibility. You know, that's kind of my first reaction to it, but interesting nonetheless i've got a winner with ben that's good you didn't immediately <laughs> like uh write off any of my ideas so that's always no. a good sign no way you got to be open-minded at this point <laughs> in the winter right this is not the time to be crossing things off the list no exactly so who knows what we're going to see this winter but uh, i think we're going to see a lot across lb a lot of movement a lot of trades obviously a lot of signings uh we're going to be here to talk about it all from a toronto blue jays perspective no matter what they end up doing uh we'll be talking about it all winter here on add letters we are also uh i think next week we're gonna have a guest but the week after that we are going to recap our over-unders don't worry we did not forget we are just uh taking a, a minute to get those all sorted out so uh we'll have that in two weeks we'll be back next week with a guest and then we'll be back throughout the off season thanks as always to mike tassoni and christian ryan our producers that's ben nicholson smith i'm arden zwelling thank you as always for listening we'll talk to you next time on at the letters